Like every human society and culture from the beginning, we look around and it's easy to find chaos and turmoil, so much discord, so much evil. So today we ask, is God in charge? Seemingly, the answer is easy. Sure, he's in charge. He's Almighty God. But if he's in charge, why is there so much war, disease, famine, and hatred? If he is in charge, as in God so loved the world, then why doesn't he set everything right? Today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God, we'll attempt to answer the question, is God in charge? I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, I think most people listening to us now would say, yes, God is in charge, but that listener might be troubled that God appears to be absent when it comes to addressing human behavior, which is so clearly against his will. So what's going on? Well, I think believers and unbelievers, Christians and non-Christians alike, they see things going around uh, going on in the world around them, and it seems like everything is out of control. I, this is a very, very legitimate question. Um, Christians claim that their God is in charge and in control of all things, but it frequently looks like he's not. And so that disjunct between what Christians say they believe, what, what Christians believe, and the way we perceive reality, you get the word, you said the word appears, appears God appears to be absent. Well, yeah, that's definitely the case, that he does appear to be absent. And so that raises lots of questions in people's minds. Are we wrong to think like that? Should I have my hand slapped if I'm looking at the chaos and turmoil in my life? Uh, and then to start wondering, if not openly, privately, God, where are you? you know, what's going on? Where did you go? No, I don't think I, – so I grew up in uh, – like I said before in here, I, I've – I grew up in Christian uh, fundamentalism and the whole, you know, you need your hand slapped if you start asking too many questions thing. I don't think it's healthy at all. Uh, God never says to us, stop asking questions. People ask questions of God all the time. There's whole books of the Bible, uh, there's whole chapters in some books of the Bible where people are asking God tough questions, questions about their existence, questions challenging whether God really is in, con in control, whether God really is in charge. And he never, he, he never says, shut up, you know, stop asking questions. I, the, the questions are always appropriate. So do you think there might be somebody listening to us today who is not a church-going people, maybe nominal church, but doesn't go to church very often? They're sort of looking in on our conversation or in on church activity from the outside. And the one thing that they're really hung up on is, if I'm going to believe in your God, if I'm going to worship with you— then I've got to see some order coming from somewhere. It right. almost seems like it's devolving most of the time. And if that's the God that you worship, I really have no need for that. Yeah, that's true. I And I, we Christians do a bad job of portraying who our God is and what it means that God is in charge. Because too often, especially in, especially in a context where life is easy and good, and money is plentiful, and food and clean water, water and healthcare are accessible. Uh, we Christians have talked about God being in charge in terms of God's in charge, and so good things are going to happen to you. Uh, God is in charge, and so you pray and you trust in Him, and things turn out good. It's kind of melding 
the Christian story, the story of the Bible with the American dream story. And for all of us, though, there's times in our life, and for some of us, it's maybe all of our lives where that's just not the case, where the confession that Jesus is Lord and God is in charge of the universe don't pay out in now I'm happy and healthy and well-fed. It's just not the case. And so um, I think it's, it's, you know, somebody comes to me and says, I can't believe in a God unless he's in charge and making everything right around me. I'll say, well, okay, so that, that God doesn't exist as we, as you framed him, you know, he's, our God is definitely in charge, but the way that he's making things right isn't necessarily going to look like order and and uh, peace and health and wealth to to us. And so, it's it's a wrong view of God that we've we ourselves as Christians have to have adjusted by Scripture all the time. And when we're talking about Christianity with those outside the faith, we need to talk about God in a way that makes more sense of Him in the Bible story. I think one of the phenomena that we those of us who are in the church are dealing with these days is the increasing departure of people from the church, people who, at least at one time, were more or less faithful in their worship attendance, mm-hmm. in their participation, and, but now increasingly they are leaving, particularly, I think, among young people. Is this problem that we're talking about today, the appearance of God's absence or, or the seeming absence of God in all the turmoil we see driving people from the church? Yeah. Well, so I can't, that's, that's a good question. I can't really, I, I'm thinking about like the people I know who have pulled away from church. I think a lot of them, it's just that there's, there's no, um, there's no payout for it. You know, we've, uh, maybe it is related to, to that, what you're saying, Chuck, I, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, pray and trust God and he'll meet your needs. And, you know, you pray and you trust God and and uh, he'll take care of everything. And people, they, you know, they grow up in a church and then it doesn't work out like that. There's other reasons too. There's lots of other reasons. But maybe that's part of the reason is, you, you know, you're trusting God. I mean, there's other reasons that we have talked about in here and we could. The problem of, you know, when we say that God's in control, we mean a couple different things. We mean that, uh, you, you know, God does things how he wants. But we also mean that I'm not in control. And so we don't like that. And especially when we pump into our children's heads that they are in control, you know, believe in yourself, you know, follow your heart, stay true to your dreams, which there's, there's definitely a place for that sort of language qualified strongly by the gospel and by the, the teaching that God is sovereign and he's in charge. But when we tell our kids that, that you're in charge, and then we say, except for on Sunday mornings, you got to go to church and you're not in charge at all. Somebody else is in charge. This guy with a robe on reading the Bible, or you know the uh, this spooky big spy in the sky, Santa Claus guy who we go to church to worship on Sunday mornings, and he's in charge. Well, of course, that's that's who, who wants any part of that, you know. And you've spent the past few years convincing yourself that you're in charge. So I yeah, I definitely see that that's that 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 is a part of the problem with people leaving the church. You know, I don't. Th- think that we even have to convince ourselves that we're in charge or convince myself that I'm in charge. I think that's just that's just human nature. We I think we believe that from the beginning. Sure. 
for those of us who have had children and everybody in the room here has had children, we, we see that they have a will, a, a, a clearly expressed will early on, yeah. <laughs> early on. They know yeah. what they want and they want it now. So what do you think, how often does it happen in the church where we churchgoers, we parrot the things our pastor tells us in sermons and in Bible class, and we say, yes, God is almighty, almighty God, yes, almighty God. But on the inside, what we think is, yeah, I'm the almighty one here, at least in my sphere of influence. And what I need is for God to fill in my gaps, yeah. and he's not doing that. Yeah. Therefore, I'm done with him. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I do that all the time. I. That's the story of my life. That's kind of a shocker. You're a pastor. You're supposed to be good at oh, this. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's not really the case. I, um, I, I all the time, you know, I, I've uh, honestly, I've built a career around telling people that God is in charge. I get paid money to tell people that God's in charge. And I, I don't, you know, when it comes right down to it, I want to be in charge. And I do believe, uh, um, unfortunately, I, I do. One of my default modes is to use God to fill, like you said, to fill in the gaps where I need him. And so, um, uh, I, I lost a job one time. I was uh, fired from a church uh, that I was a pastor at, and um, uh, for reasons that I, I we don't want to get in here into too much here. It was a, a financial issue, and the church couldn't afford to pay me anymore. And uh, you know, I'd spent uh, several years at that church teaching people that God is in charge and He's in control and He does all things well and He uses all things. Uh, to to work out our salvation for us, and he works all things good, and and all, all that sort of stuff. And then when I got fired, I turned against God, and and the reason why was because if God's in charge, he should be using that power to help me out, you know. And me losing my job was definitely not helping me out. And so I I struggle with this too. Like it's definitely a theological belief that God's in control, but practically speaking, in my life. Whenever it's chaotic and whenever bad things are happening, um, I doubt him. I, I I push him away, and I, I totally understand that people struggle with that. And again, I mean that the solution probably is just getting back to the story of Scripture, getting back to the story of the Bible to see what does it look like that God is in charge. Does it look like nobody loses their job today? Is that what, what God being in charge looks like? No, it doesn't. It never looks like that. God's sovereignty, His control over my life means that sometimes things that are going to be, that, that I'm going to perceive as bad happen. Some folks think that like a watchmaker who makes a watch, God created the universe, wound the stem, then set the universe on the table, walked away yeah. to let everything else play out on its own. We'll, we'll just stand over here and watch what happens and until uh, the watch finally runs out of steam. What do you think of this perspective? Yeah, so that's a, a deism, and it's um, very popular. Now it has been since the Enlightenment started, about three or 400 years ago. It started off as a defense of God, as, um, as a way to believe in God, but to defend him from the charge that he's responsible for evil things that happen. And there's a famous historical event that was a huge catalyst for this, and uh, I some of these names are going to escape me. I, 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 I'm i going to mess up this a little bit, but in the 1700s, there was a massive um, 
earthquake and tidal wave in Lisbon, Portugal. And um, this uh, earthquake, you, you know, in a city that, that wasn't built to withstand earthquakes, of course, this is pre-contemporary uh, engineering techniques, happened on a day, I want to say it was All Saints Eve. And so the, can- the churches in the city were filled with candles. This massive earthquake, and, and look it up, it's got its own Wikipedia page, the L- Lisbon uh, earthquake. That the earthquake happened, lots of lives destroyed. The tidal wave happens, lots of lives destroyed. The churches are knocked down in this earthquake, and all the candles create this massive citywide fire, which destroys even more lives. And, and a lot of uh, philosophers at the time trying to hold on to a belief in God in a scenario where it looks like there's there's no meaning or purpose in this, there's no good coming out of this mass destruction of life started to posit this this teaching that you're referencing Chuck where so God's there he's loving he the, the famous deist image is the great watchmaker who winds up the watch like you said and then lets it go and but, but then he just lets things run their natural course and that way it holds on to a god who's powerful and this is the god of the uh, the famous uh, you know why do good things happen to bad people book um, there's a powerful god who's in charge but he lets things happen according to their natural course. So bad things happen, and it's not really attributed to him. It's just sort of like natural. But um, he's still there loving us, but you know, he lets things take their natural course. I mean, this, this just puts off the problem, though. I, I guess in a certain sort of sense, we can see how this, okay, so God is powerful and loving, but he chooses not to be involved. But that just pushes, the, that, that just kicks the, the question down the road, so to speak, um, I just mixed metaphors there. Kick the can down the road is what I should have said. I was able to follow that. Yeah, good, good. Thank, thankfully, yeah, that's tough to do. A nice work on your part. Uh, why doesn't God intervene then? Okay, so I understand he's created this world and he's decided to like let things take their natural course. But I don't want him to let things take their natural course all the time. I need him to come and fix things. It just pushes the problem back. And the bad part too is that it creates a God who doesn't care. It's hard to say, you know, so you have a God who's all-powerful because he created everything, and he could affect events if he wanted to. Why is he not? The natural, the, 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 the natural answer to that question is, is he must not care. If God is powerful enough to look down on our city as it's being destroyed by an earthquake and a tidal wave and a citywide fire, and he chooses not to do so, the only logical conclusion I can come up with is that he doesn't care. And so that what deism does way more damage. You know, there's a certain sort of philosophical benefit to it on, you know, you know, one part of the problem gets solved, but the rest of the problem is thrown into even greater chaos. And so I, I think bottom line too, as a Christian, the Bible doesn't teach that. And so I don't think that it's very helpful. So you interact with people privately, one-on-one in situations, you're a preacher, so you're talking to people in sermons. Bible class teacher, you uh, teach at the local college on various world religions. You have lots of different settings where you interact with people coming from different backgrounds. Do you run into deists pretty frequently, or is that sort of the exception, not the rule? Oh, people don't say I'm a deist. You know, you've got to be reading John Locke and Thomas Jefferson to actually have that language in your vocabulary. But it's it, it is the default mode of our culture, even our church, our churches. Um, so unbelievers, believers, we're all functionally deist because 
Uh, well, so, so I said some unbelievers, of course, are agnostics or atheists, which that's not deism, of course. But God believers all tend to be functionally deists. We believe in a God, but we also believe in, this is part of the Enlightenment heritage, we also believe in uh, materialism and uh, that we believe in naturalism, that that the universe can be explained by purely natural means, you know. So is God in charge? Yes. Uh Somebody, uh, if I have an accident in traffic, most people don't, even people who believe in God, don't think, okay, what was God's responsibility in this? We think, I'm a bad driver, or that person was a bad driver, or I shouldn't be looking down at my cell phone, when I, or whatever, you know, or slipped on some ice, random, you know, just sort of a random accident of, of nature. Most of us take, we confront our problems like that. When it becomes something so big, that we don't want natural explanations. Uh, you know, a car accident, a fender bender, I'm, I'm fine. When I get a terminal cancer diagnosis, then I want to bring God in. But I've been training myself all along that he's not really involved in this stuff. Now I want him to be, though, and now I'm frustrated and angry with him. The solution, I believe, is that if we teach ourselves all the time that God's in control of everything, the fender benders, the cancer, everything God is in charge of it, then I think we'll be more prepared to grapple with big life situations, knowing that God is in charge and he's doing all things well. Some people think that God is neither absent nor active in his creation, but that he is passive. He drops in every couple of centuries or so to redirect the ship, then returns to his passive existence. Um, if you could crack open my heart and my mind and look into my soul and you saw me as this person— how would you address me? How would you take that on? Well, this is a sort of a softer form of of deism, that God is not active. Oh, every once in a while he is. This is a softer form of it, you know. The the, the hard 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 case, the hardcore deism would say, God is loving, he created a beautiful world, he just does, does not get involved. Sort of a softcore one is probably the one that I'm b m describing most when I talk about the way Christians think. Um God acts every once in a while, and um, but but not not all the time. I, and I would encourage you, if this is the case for you, to start seeing every every little bit of your life as coming underneath the control of God. You know, don't I, I, maybe I've mentioned this in here before. Maybe it's been a, a study or a sermon. You know, uh, one of the frustrating things to uh, unbelieving sports fans is the Christian athlete who, when he wins the Super Bowl, says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he doesn't win the Super Bowl, doesn't say anything. So is God active in your victories and then absent when you lose? That's, that's a, okay. That's a fender bender situation. You can probably live life like that and get along with it. But what happens then if you train yourself that way and then you get the terminal cancer diagnosis? And what I would encourage the Christian athlete to realize is that God is active in both my victories and my losses, and he's working both my victories and my losses for my good, which is probably much greater than, you know, uh, athletic success or failure. It probably has more to do with your sanctification and God working at his sovereign will. So, you know, there's this famous, um, oh, I say famous, uh, Mark Twain uh, at the end of the Civil War wrote the prayer of, and, and, and I'm not going to quote this directly either, but it's something like a prayer for battle or something like that. And it's the it's a f fictional pastor praying uh, for uh, the troops going into battle for his country. 
and he's praying, you know, God, we know you're on our side. God, protect our soldiers. Help us to defeat the enemy. And, and the subtext of all of it is, is that, of course, there's other pastors, Christian pastors on the other side, praying for the exact opposite. And th- that's the way we do, you know, sports. I, I played lots of sports in high school and college, you know, and you're like, it's hard if you're a Christian. It's hard to avoid like praying, like God help us, just help us win this game. We just need to win this game. Well, of course, there's Christians on the other side, fans and players saying, "Well, God help us win this game." And the way I cope with that, of course, is if I lose, I don't think about God at all. If I win, oh, thank you, God, you answered that prayer. Like I said, when something big and bad happens, when I lost my job, I didn't have the tools. Even though I was a Christian pastor, I didn't have the tools to grapple with that because I had ceased believing that God was in charge of even the bad things. And that would have done me a world of good. So let's try to move out of the deism room over into the gospel room, or let's at least begin the journey. We're going to set aside the notion that God is absent or passive and acknowledge that God is an active God. Then the question becomes, how active? In Matthew 10, we read, and I'm quoting, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So if I interpret this correctly, it seems to be saying that God is far from absent or passive. He is, in fact, managing all the uh, the sparrows in his creation, um, intimately involved with the uh, finest details. How active is he? Oh, that, I I mean, Jesus said it right there that the God of the universe is the God of the universe precisely because he's sovereign over all things, that there's nothing that's outside of his control. And, and the Bible consistently teaches this, is that not a single thing happens that he is not in charge of. There's this uh, fantastic proverb in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 16, which says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the, so the lot being like dice, you know, you roll the dice, but even the roll of the dice is up to the creator God, how it turns out. Now, th- this doesn't mean, of course, like, again, uh, okay, so if I pray to God and he's in control of the roll of the dice and he's a good God and he's all powerful, he'll make him turn up. No, uh, we, we don't know why. He doesn't explain to us why one bird dies, for instance, and another bird survives. He doesn't explain to us why some of the dice rolls are good and some of them are bad. But what he does say is that it's not random. Dice rolls, which are, they appear to be random, and, and of course, within the context of a game that you're playing, I'm not saying that they're not random. There's a certain randomness to, uh, to, to dice rolls. But what the Bible teaches that that in the context of God's sovereignty over all of human history and time and space, that there is nothing that's random. Every single little tiny thing is planned and ordained by him. So a person receives the news that his or her spouse is getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. News comes from the doctor that a disease is terminal. A tornado rips through a factory and kills dozens of people. We look at these things and come to the conclusion secretly, mind you, because I don't want my pastor to know that I'm thinking this way. But we come to the conclusion that, you know what? God is just not a very good manager. That's the problem. What would you say? Well, so his death... I know it looks like that. It's our job as um, as human beings to take care of things and order them. and but but God, he does what he wants. and his management style is not the same as ours. And bad things happen 
and they're genuinely bad things, but people's death, you know, uh, sickness, divorce, broken relationships, these are genuinely bad things. And yet the Bible insists that God is in charge even of those. And I would argue too, like if you don't believe that, your only other option is hopelessness. If it's random, or what's even worse than random, if it's an evil that's planned against you that you can't stop, which a lot of times in the case of, for instance, divorce, that's the conclusion that the aggrieved party will come to. Hopelessness is really the only solution. Like I'm completely powerless here. Now, I I know the trade-off here is that people are going to say, so you're saying God makes bad things happen? And I'm I'm, going to say, I can't explain how this works in his sovereignty. I don't have the, we as humans don't have the language to process this. And yet the Bible insists that even the bad things happen, that happen or, or happen under his authority. I know for a fact, I've quoted this text in here before, but my my favorite example of this, I say favorite, this is probably the wrong word for it. The best example of this, because it's not a fun one, is um, uh, Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis is sold by his brothers into slavery. And um, at the uh, end of the story, his brothers come to him and say, so, so there's reconciliation that happens after many years. His brothers, uh, feeling guilty for having sold him into slavery, come and say to him, um, you know, don't do any bad things to us. And he says this line, he says, I'm not going to, I couldn't do anything bad to you. I'm not God. Am I in the place of God? He says, um, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I know that our listeners, if they've listened to every episode, have heard me talk about this text before, but l- let me just go over it one more time. What Joseph is saying when he says, you meant to sell me into slavery and you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The it there is me being sold into slavery. Joseph says, you, my brothers, meant to sell me into slavery in order to do evil. God meant for me to be sold into slavery in order for good to happen. Now, in the moment when Joseph is sold into slavery, can you tell him, well, this is good? No, of course not. Slavery is evil. Being sold into slavery is evil. And yet Joseph reflecting upon it later, sees that God was sovereignly in charge of even that bad thing. Does this make God the author of evil, by the way? No. The Bible insists over and over that God does not tempt people to evil. God is not evil himself. God does not do evil. God does not want us to do evil. How does this work together? I I, I don't have the language. I don't have the language to process that. But what I can say is that every single thing, even the things which are evil, God is sovereign over and is, has the power to, he, I'm not saying that those things are good at all. They are evil. You meant it for evil, Joseph says. But God's sovereignty, his control is so powerful that he can even use those things to accomplish his good. And to let him have, so to let him have that, to, to, to not, to, to, and again, not to be passive and to say, okay, so I'm getting divorced or I'm getting cancer. Well, it's God's will. I guess I'll just sit here and take it. That's not what God wants us to do. But he does want us to trust him that he's completely in charge of it. So I'm thinking of a person who's listening to us who may have started over here in the God is passive or God is absent crowd and now is moving in the direction that I think that we're trying to head. There comes that moment where God's will, which is well-defined, certainly in God's mind, Maybe I don't understand all of it, but he has a clear will. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I have a clear will. 
And as long as those two yeah. things are in conflict, I can skate along with God pretty well. And I'm willing to call him Almighty God until my will, I need to get rid of this cancer. I need God to fix my spouse so I don't get divorced, whatever it is, is in conflict with his. They don't match up. Now I need God to come into that moment and fix that moment so that my will can continue on the path that I wanted to continue. Right. I think there's a lot of people who sort of look at their religion that way. Yeah. But you go to the Bible and Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to be rough. Yeah. They're going to want to drag you into court. They're going to kill you and all kinds of things. And of course, we see many ex examples of that in the New Testament, early in the book of Acts. I think it's Peter and John. They get dragged in before the uh, religious leaders of the day. They're told not to teach in the name of Jesus. They're beaten for punishment, and they leave that event counting, uh, praising God because they were counted worthy to suffer right, yeah. for the name of Jesus yeah. Christ. Now, that's that may be a destination that's just a little too far for a lot of people. Right. I'm not signing up here yeah. to reach some kind of place where I'm suffering and thanking God for it. Yeah. Can you help me with that? Yeah, so... Um... I, honestly, what are your options though? You know, bad things are going to happen. Now, when we say rejoicing, I, I... well, here are my options. Here's, here's the option okay. that a lot of us like. We watch the TV preachers or we do what we, you know, we go to this place or that place and we buy the books and we buy the uh, audio and we are just constantly in this search for the magic bullet, the magic hidden mysterious kingdom fact that will unlock all of this so that I can you know, get together with God and we can link arms and I can overcome my current ad yeah. adversity. And so, boy, this sells a lot of product. I tell you what, this, this particular approach. Yeah. So there are people who are saying, I know you think you've run out of options, but I've got one here you haven't tried. For right. $20, I'll send you this or that. Right. Well, I... Um... I, I'm not saying God can't use that, you know, but I, it doesn't, it's, it's not, those aren't, obviously those aren't going to be infallible. I, you can read all the books you want and, you know, do all the Christian calisthenics you want to, you know, the mantras to try and get God to do what you want to do. Eventually we're all going to die, right? Eventually bad stuff's going to happen to all of us. And so, you know, what, what do you do in that moment? Like at, um, the, the really the, the only way to survive and avoid that hopelessness is to acknowledge that God is in charge. It's the, really the only way to survive psychologically. Uh, there's nihilism, and then there's biblical Christianity, and everything else is kind of playing around with the two of those things, but ill at ease with both of those things. And either there's no meaning at all to the universe. Uh, which an evil God would be a part of that if he if he's evil or not loving. Or there's a good God who's in love and in charge, and that means that my impending death, that even means that when I'm abandoned by people closest to me, that as bad as that is, and I should fight against those things, that God is good and he's using this for good. I don't know what that means. It might not mean even my good. I'm doing air quotes here, which isn't helpful on a podcast, I know. It might not even be my good, but it's it's definitely his good. And 
So that's the first thing is to trust him for that. The other thing too is like when we talk about God's will, one of the things we can talk about is God's revealed will. We know that God, God designed us for faithful relationship. And so if your spouse wants to divorce you, and I mean, this is super, super simple, it's simple, um, it, way too simple. Like there are times when spouses want to divorce somebody and there's just cause biblically. So without any of those complications, if you've been abandoned by somebody who you've trusted and who has made promises to you to stay with you forever, you should seek to reconcile that relationship. You, just, you shouldn't just say, well, it's God's will. You know, I just have to live with it. Again, you know, so if, if you get a cancer diagnosis, you should seek to take steps to have that fixed. God loves life. He created human life. So this isn't some sort of passive thing. As, as long as we know God's revealed will, the Ten Commandments, the heart of God, those are things that we can definitely say, that's what I've got to chase after. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you got to trust God or the, the only solution is hopelessness. And, and again, I, we, we can't talk about this at all. Like, give me two seconds here to talk about the cross. Uh, the cross of Jesus. Take is all where, the time you need to talk about the cross. Yeah, the, the cross of Jesus is where all of this makes, where all of this becomes real, is that God being in charge even of bad things finds its meaning and purpose in the death of God himself. Like, God my abandonment, my death, uh, my car these are all things that God himself has experienced. God himself is there in the midst of all of our accidents and all of our tragedies. Joseph is sold into slavery. God means it for good. I don't know, Joseph doesn't seem to have any sort of like feelings that like, well, God, it's easy for you. You're up there in heaven pushing buttons. Okay, I trust you that you meant it for good, but at what cost to yourself? doesn't hurt you at all. Uh, J- Joseph doesn't seem to have any of that. Maybe he knows. Maybe he knows that at some point God's going to put himself into the game, that God himself is going to allow himself to be sold like property for 30 pieces of silver, that God knows all of this and that his control is not this sort of absentee, careless control, but his control is for our good. He's got this plan and the pain that his good sometimes involves in our life is pain that he himself feels has felt on the cross and he's risen from the dead. And now he's the Lord of the universe and he's put all things under his feet. He's completely in charge. And this doesn't answer all the questions. I know that. And and I'm not, I'm not saying, well, don't ask any questions whenever bad stuff happens. That's not the point. But the point is hope and comfort that even in the middle of bad things happening, our God is completely sovereign and completely loving, and he's got it. So in the short amount of time we have left, let's just summarize. If God is in charge, and we clearly affirm that he is, what consolation or encouragement do we take from this truth? That nothing is happening randomly or ultimately toward evil. I mean, there is evil in the world, but everything that's happening God is working for his good. And that should give us, no matter what is happening to us in your life, you should take hope and comfort from the fact that it might look like it's out of control to me. It might look like I don't have any control over it. But God, the God who loves me and gave himself for me, is definitely in charge. Thank you, Aaron. Enjoyed the conversation. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. 
If you enjoy these conversations, please tell your friends about us. And be sure to click the like button on our episode page. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.